0: Not attempt to adjust your radio you are now listening to pop and schlock live with jake and meredith on kpft hd2 You are listening to KPFT 90.1 FM, Channel HD 2. This is Poppinschlock. Tragedy struck today when a circus going through Houston had to stop because local radio host Jay Goodson Dodd, a.k.a. Jake for Brevity's Steak, stood in front of them waving his arms and said, Hey, fellas, I want to be a clown. Mr. Dodd has not been seen or heard from since. In other news, Victoria Dodd, I understand that this must be a very difficult time for you, so please feel free to reach out. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. You might be wondering what we're doing here without Jay Goodson Dodd, who created this show and has kept it going for years. Well, myself, Meredith Nudo, his. Frequent co host and agitator remains, and I've already replaced him. Surprisingly, not with Brian Kondrak, but with someone who is just as awesome. Will you please introduce yourself today?
1: Oh, this is Scott White.
0: Stand up comedian,
1: improv comedian Scott White.
0: We're so excited to have you. And today, as you can probably imagine, we are going to be talking about comedy in cinema and comedy. In general, because Scott is so awesome at talking about that. I am so jazzed. Jake and I were both super happy to be
1: so here. So happy that he didn't show. He
0: was so happy that he ran away to join the circus because of how much he wanted to it's be like you. It's amazing that you brought up
1: my uncle was run over by a bearded lady. Yeah, he was killed in a freak accident. Ah!
0: Uh... <laughs> And that's the high-quality humor that you can expect from tonight's episode from Scott, the Pun Master.
1: So, what are we going to talk about?
0: Well, we were—I I invited you here to talk about comedy and comedy history and comedy and film—and you brought up the Marx Brothers as a as a big influence on your work, as well as the Three Stooges. So let's let's start with slapstick.
1: Okay. Uh, well, slapstick was uh, slapstick was basically invented. Well, it was in uh, vaudeville, but slapstick was very big in silent movies because since you didn't have dialogue, you had to convey, you know, you had to convey the comedy through, uh, you know, uh, through non-language. So that's where we got the Keystone Cops and uh, Fatty Arbuckle and uh, Buster Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and Harold Lloyd. Uh, Those are the big um, silent film, uh, you know, silent film comedians. And all of their all of their jokes, all of their shtick was done through through their body language and through facial sp- expressions. Or in Buster Keaton's case, non facial expressions, because he was known as Old Stone Face. Mm-hmm. So whatever was whatever was happening around him, whatever catastrophe was happening around him, his face would just remain stoic. In fact, I believe uh, he's he was only caught smiling three times uh, on film. Uh, throughout his entire career.
0: Shocking. We should we should try and dig up those three times.
1: I think there was well Fatty Arbuckle discovered Buster Keaton. So he uh Fatty gave uh uh Buster his start in film. So the 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 films that he smiles in is before he adopted the uh the stone face. <coughs> excuse me, the stone face persona. So it's and there're little scenes where it's it's a crowd scene and you see Buster Keaton just, just smiling away um but they're they're very rare and I don't even think and I and he held on to that persona even in real life when he was being photographed off screen and stuff like that he never smiled he always tried to keep a, a dour sour look on his face so
0: what you're saying is that Buster Keaton was the world's straight man uh
1: no I wouldn't say he was a straight man I would I would say he was the um, I, he was always the catalyst. He was a straight catalyst, I would guess.
0: Okay, that's a good. Because he
1: would always start the problems, and he was he would always be in the middle of the problems, uh, but he never, uh, one way or another, you know, his facial expressions never, never expressed what kind of trouble he was in or what kind of happiness he was in. You like know?
0: a stone-faced Mister Magoo.
1: Yes, uh, and. Uh, so what we what we got through, and of course, um, one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life is uh, Jackie Chan. people ask Jackie Chan, did he model himself after Bruce Lee?" and he goes, "No, I modeled myself after Buster Keaton,
0: yeah, I can see that
1: mm-hmm. with all the stunts, and you know he did the fame I guess one of the most famous stunts in the world is when you sta- when he stands when the building is collapsing around him and he stands in this one spot and mm-hmm. the building comes around, and that was an actual it was an actual building that did that in that scene. It wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't plywood and, and cardboard. <clears throat> it was an actual building. So if it was off one inch or another, he, he would have been squashed. And, you know, and Buster, like Jackie Chan, hurt himself quite a bit in his films. He actually had a broken neck. He had a broken neck for years that he didn't know about until he went to the doctor. And the doctor told him he had a broken neck.
0: That's like the time that Werner Herzog got shot and just kind of sat there and was like, I'm just going to wait out this interview until I get to the doctor. So would you think, do you think that Buster Keaton was like the precursor to Werner Herzog?
1: Uh, Do you think we
0: could have had Werner Herzog without Buster Keaton or is Werner Herzog just German?
1: I believe he's a sauerkraut.
0: Ah! Please replace Jake permanently.
1: Well, he's... He's gonna be a wrestler, so.
0: Yeah. Or oh, is that? I
1: don't know. Did I let the cat out of the bag? Does everybody know that?
0: I mean, he posts about it on his Instagram, which oh. I presume all of our all of our listeners are following. <laughs> yes, Jake is Jake is training to become a wrestler, but for now, I can
1: still beat him up. Well, he, what's his persona? What's his wrestling persona?
0: I imagine he's just a cranky bearded hipster.
1: Oh good, we don't have enough of those
0: exactly no i I think that's a very uh very original
1: how old 30, is he uh thirty
0: two
1: starting wrestling at thirty two
0: Mm-hmm. hes oh he course. could be one
1: of those patch adam guys yeah yeah
0: yeah i I'm, I'm actually well you really know what, really what Tom
1: Clancy didn't write his first novel until fifty nine or something like that
0: yeah, and uh I didn't do anything until I turned twenty nine. Like I actually was born at twenty nine. I'm
1: still hoping so my, much to learn. I'm hoping my spirit animal would be uh, Bruce Willis's character from Death Becomes Her, because <laughs> it's uh, because at the eulogy at the end of the movie they said he didn't really start living life until after fifty.
0: There you go. He got
1: away from uh, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn.
0: That's such a good movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it though. Also a comedy classic, looping it back to the theme here, and uh, so I did a rewatch of the Marx Brothers after you mentioned how much you love the movies. Of course, actually just the two that I've already seen. I rewatched the two. I rewatched the two that I'd already seen, and I wanted to watch more, but I didn't have time because I had a migraine. Blame it on the weather.
1: You so you want us to blame it on the rain?
0: Yes. Ah. (laughs) The rain that somebody left a cake out in?
1: No. Oh, I'm
0: pointing at him. You can't see because we're not live streaming the video tonight because Jake has that technology, not me. All of my tech breaks. Anyway, so no, I, I, I saw um, well, I Night at the Opera
1: Okay. and Duck Soup. Those are Actually, those are back-to-back. That Duck Soup, Night of the Opera followed Duck Soup.
0: Yeah, yeah, Duck Soup was uh, Zeppo's last movie with Duck them, Duck Soup right? was
1: Zeppo's last movie. It was there also their last movie at Paramount. I didn't know that. And it was a flop.
0: Right, I did know about that. It like was a, a huge Pomerlea.
1: flop, and so there was three years because Duck Soup was 1932, I believe, and Night of the Opera was 1935. So between that, so... Um, so duck soup was a uh duck soup was a flop. Uh Zeppo left to uh he actually became uh, quite uh he invented um uh, Zeppo invented the a watch that monitors that want monitored your heart rate and an alarm would go off if your heart rate became irregular.
0: Yeah, he became an electrical engineer. Yeah, after, he was right? very
1: good. He was very good electrically, and I believe he raised llamas. That's awesome. And um and uh his wife cheated on him. With a llama? With Frank Sinatra.
0: Oh well, why that when she could have a llama?
1: I don't know. So so anyway, between uh, uh, Duck Soup and Night at the Opera, uh, uh, Chico Chico March uh, was a notorious gambler, and in fact, that the Marx Brothers went longer than they had to because Chico was always in debt because of his gambling. They wanted to stop making movies. I want to say after Go West, but they made a they had to keep making it after that because <coughs> excuse me, Zeppo uh, not Zeppo. Uh, Chico was always in debt. So the Marx brothers had to bail him out by making movie after movie after movie.
0: So they four seasonsed.
1: Yes. <laughs> and um so but his gambling actually got the Marx brothers their comeback because he started gambling uh he Pinochle, he played Pinochle with uh, a bunch of high rollers in Hollywood and one of those high rollers was, was Irving Thalberg, who was uh, uh, the kid genius at MGM. He was only in his late 20s, early 30s. And he saw the Marx Brothers, and he took the Marx Brothers and uh, so, well, let's, we have the Paramount and we have the MGM years. Uh, and they made one Film with RKO, but it's pretty much Paramount and MGM. In the uh, in the Paramount years, it was just uh, it was just chaos. There was there was no plot in the movies. It was just it was a thin plot that just led from one bit to another, from one Marx Brothers bit to another. Uh, so they weren't so the the plot was thin, but it was just there for them to do their bits. And you can tell because those movies, a lot of those movies are just barely over an hour, so they cut the fat. They cut the fat, and they just got to, because there was, uh, besides, uh, except for coconuts, there was, <clears throat> there was no romantic plot, uh, you know, there was no side romantic plot. It w- plot, it was just the Marx Brothers doing their thing. And once again, besides coconuts, there was no big musical numbers. Coconuts had a big, you know, they had big news- musical numbers because that was 1929, uh, start of the sound, start of the sound era. So they had these, you know, these big musical numbers, and they didn't really know how to do them yet, because sound was new and and all of that. Uh, sound was actually so new in uh, coconuts. If you look, whenever they're reading a paper or reading blueprints or anything like that, they're soaking wet, because the camera would pick up ambient sound. So just by turning the by turning the newspaper, the sound would drown out the actors talking. So what they did is they had to wet down. Uh, All the newspapers and all that. Oh, wow. So if you see, if you watch coconuts and you see them handling any newspaper or anything like that, they're just wet so it wouldn't attract, so it wouldn't show, uh, end up on the soundtrack because, and uh, I'm talking, I I may be talking out of the side of my mouth.
0: Uh, Looks like you're talking out of both sides to me.
1: I believe on, in those days that sound was recorded, they needed a, a certain amount of uh, room on the film itself to record sound uh you know and so it was, sound was very technical and very new back then, uh so they had to do any, everything they did to cancel out any ambient sound in the background so anyway, so we have the paramount movies uh and like i said it was just it was just chaos it was anti establishment that 's where the Marx brothers got the their moniker of anti establishment comedians uh where they would go against um where they would go against, you know, the the upper crust, mm-hmm. which of course, uh, you always want to see. You always want to see the rich guy falling down the stairs or getting a pie in the face, and then once again, that was adopted by the Three Stooges and other comedy teams, where they would take on where they would take on the rich.
0: Well, yeah, it's punching up comedy.
1: Punching up. It's yes. It's not
0: really funny to make fun of the poor because they already have a tough lot in life.
1: Well, there's that old go get biblical. There's that old biblical story where there was all these people in a church and they were giving hundreds and thousands of dollars in donations and they were all happy about themselves and then this little old lady gave one penny. Oh yeah. And they were and the reason the one penny meant so much is she only had two pennies in the world.
0: Yeah, the parable of the widow's mite. That's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's a it's such a great uh tale about proportionate generosity. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, this is a Marx Brothers review. <laughs> and we got off on the Bible. The Marx Brothers were Jewish. i oh, throw that out there. Uh, they were Jewish and they were short. And I don't know if that was a thing because all the Marx Brothers are, are short. All the Three Stooges were short. Laurel and Hardy were short. I just
0: uh, think that back in that time period, everybody was short. Because... It was
1: shorter and they would use that. They would always cast the heavy as a taller guy. Uh, like the, you know, the hotel, yeah. like the hotel, the hotel detective or, you know, or the the opera singers. So they would always be tall. So there was always that juxtaposition. They would always hover over where you would, they would visually be above the Marx Brothers. And so you wanted the Marx Brothers to take them down. So after their Paramount years, after Duck Soup was a flop, Paramount abandoned them, and they were out on the street for a couple of years. And then Chico, uh, uh, Chico was gambling with Irving Thalberg, and Thalberg took in the MGM. And he says, "You know what? What we're going to do is we're going to make movies where you do half the jokes. You're going to do half the jokes and make and your movies are going to make more money." And that was their first movie, Nine at the Opera," where they they had a they had a plot about kind of yes they had a plot, but it was you were following the plot of of her. And it was a, and the, the, the romance was the plot actually. So they, we were following her in the opera and the, the poor boyfriend who befriends you know who befriends the Marx brothers and all that. We also we had the musical numbers and we had the romance subplot. Uh,
0: I love the musical numbers in that too.
1: <clears throat> there are good yeah there are good oh musical yeah I numbers. love
0: I love the way Chico plays piano.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not talking. Uh, no, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm differentiating the music, like Chico playing the piano and Harpo playing the harp. Those are staples in the Marx Brothers' movies. Yeah. But I'm talking about the big dance numbers. Oh and-
0: yeah, 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 Cozy Costa.
1: Yes. So- that was great. <laughs> la 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 la. And that was and so uh, Night at the Opera was a big hit with uh, a big hit. And uh, one of the reasons it was a big hit was Groucho was very antsy about about the script you know he wasn't sure so what they would do what they did in night of the opera was they would take certain scenes on the road and perform them in front of live audiences oh cool uh and so and that's that helped them know okay this is funny this is not funny we need to trim this we need to move that we need to put that there and if you watch the movie you will see in certain scenes where uh Groucho is delivering a line and there's a moment of silence and you think it's an editing flaw and it's not mm-hmm. they're allowing for laughter in the movie theater which they judged by the laughter in uh in actual theaters so they didn't want their jokes to be stepped on by the laughter so they built in laugh pauses in the in the movie
0: yeah and a lot of that was margaret dumont's, uh, dumont dumont sorry Dum- dumont's uh facial expressions too because i remember reading about how she would react especially off groucho and left room for reactions and she timed them specifically for applause yes and that there was that, that groucho had made a joke that she did it because she didn't understand the jokes and critics thought he was being serious and ran with that for a long time yes there on the was grounds that she didn't understand and then, meanwhile she's this huge broadway well-trained woman like she knows her stuff she knows it so much better than the critics knew
1: and yes that was a rumor for the long time that margaret dumont didn't get the jokes but margaret dumont misogyny uh the fifth marx brother or the fourth i guess depending on the movie uh she uh the she played it she played it straight she didn't she didn't go for the laugh. She played it straight, and that's what made it funny. Uh, so she was like the perfect foil to the Marx Brothers in those uh, in the uh, movies that she was in. Another actress, Thelma Todd, was in. Um, uh, she was in Horse Feathers and Monkey Business, and she was a she was a comedian. So the movies that she's in, she's not she's not really playing it as straight. She's going, she's going for you know, she's trying to get laughs on her own. Uh, Thelma Todd is actually a great unsolved mystery in Hollywood, where she was found dead in her car on December fifteenth, in nineteen thirty five. So she died young, and they said it was an accidental death because she locked herself out of her house and she was cold. So she went into her she went into the garage to get warm in the car. Started the car. Carbon dioxide. Oh, yeah. So, but they said there was a lot of bruises on her body that they couldn't account for. Oh. Now, it was officially labeled uh, accidental deaths with suicidal tendencies. Uh, but that's always, but that's always been an unsolved. That's always been a, a Hollywood mystery. Uh what? So what were we talking about? Uh, the Marx Brothers and murder, apparently. murder. <laughs> So then after, so uh, Night at the Opera was a big hit. Then they had uh, Day at the Races. Yes, Day at the Races, also Irving Thalberg. That was also a big hit. Then Irving Thalberg died. He died very young, 36, 37. And the thing was, Irving Thalberg was uh, in Night at the Opera and Day at the Races, the studio pretty much let them alone. They pretty much let the Marx Brothers do what the Marx Brothers wanted to do, and then Irving Thalberg died, and then the movies it became part of the. Then the 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 suits got involved, and that's when the movie started to decline in quality. Because uh, well, let's put nothing this in. good
0: comes from suits. Nothing
1: good comes from suits. Uh, so they so they were always they were micromanaging this and not letting him do this and not letting him do that. They wouldn't let them take it. They wouldn't let them take the. Uh, the shows out on the road anymore Mm. to test them and the quality once again there's there's the upper tier there's the upper tier it's usually broken down most marx brothers fans the upper tier marx brothers movies are the paramount movies and night at the opera some include day at the races and some do not so right around the so day at the races is the Lynchpin. Some people consider that an upper tier movie, and some people can consider that the first lower tier Marx Brothers movie. And then after after the um, and then after Day at the Races, boom, the quality kept going down and down and down. And like I said, uh, they wanted to retire because you know they just want to do it. They did it for they did it for Chico, and uh, and that's that. So eventually, and then Groucho made it big in television, and uh, and Harpo wrote a book. Harpo actually did a, I don't believe it wasn't a Twilight Zone, but Harpo did like a Playhouse sixty six, one of those old where he played a, he played a mute. It was in a drama. He sees a murder, and he mm-hmm. can't you know, and they they think he's the murderer, and he can't you know, he can't tell who the murderer is because he can't speak. So they try you know they try to do different things but they always ended up coming back together because then at the end then in, in television well let's go back to the movies so night at casablanca is what uh groucho says is the last marx brothers movie then after that they made laugh uh laugh happy laugh happy what then that can't be right love happy love happy yeah uh, And that was originally just going to be uh, Chico and Harpo, and then and then they saw the dailies and they're like, "Well, you need to bring Groucho." So they brought Groucho back in, sort as of a narrator. So there's, I think there's one scene with him and Chico, but most of the scenes are Chico and uh, Chico and Groucho by them, uh, Chico and Harpo by themselves, and then Groucho just giving narrative and stuff like that. He's He's narrating what's. Ha- it's it's a it's a a crime mystery. It's a comedy crime mystery. Hmm. Um. The thi- the it's the only real thing of consequence of that movie is it was Marilyn Monroe's first movie. Oh, interesting. And Raymond Burr is in the movie, a thin Raymond Burr as a bad guy. Uh, but other than that, the movie really has uh, you know not a not really. I won't say no value, but. Uh, I, the thing, uh, the thing with all the lower tier Marx Brothers movies is, if you took all the good, if you took all the great bits out of all the lower, you know, the lower tier Marx Brothers movies, you could get a a nice hour and a half movie of Marx Brothers bits if you just cut out all the other stuff in there.
0: My first exposure to the Marx Brothers was actually I Love Lucy. On the episode with Harpo?
1: Well, Lucy is in, a, in Room Service. Oh! Lucille Ball is in a Marx Brothers movie. Oh,
0: I. I room Service. I don't think I. I obviously didn't see that one, but uh, I love Lucille Ball. Yes. Auntie Mame.
1: Yeah. So Lucille Ball is in a Room Service, which was an RKO movie. So for some, I guess the. I guess NGM loaned out the Marx Brothers to do, to do a movie. So, but no, Lucille Ball was in. A Marx Brothers movie. Well,
0: she's a perfect fit because she's such a great physical vaudevillian presence. But she's, not. Presence. she's, oh, not, she's this, not. She's
1: the straight person in this. She's oh, the that's straight person. She's the straight person in the movie.
0: Well, that's, that's a comedy muscle that I don't think she ever got to flex all that often.
1: Uh, she's also in a Three Stooges short. So she's worked with the Three Stooges Whoa. and the Marx Brothers. And in the Three Stooges short, she's a blonde because I believe she's originally a blonde. I believe she dyed her, head, her hair. I think so too. She was a blonde. So she was uh, she was playing the straight women to to these comedy teams until, you know, until she got you know, she got her own her own TV show and all that.
0: Yeah, most of my my knowledge of of comedy started around uh, I Love Lucy, and circles then over to Monty Python and <sighs> then Mel Brooks and all of that. So Marx Brothers is a little bit. It's not, that it's, not, it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's that most of my exposure and my knowledge, that was where it started. So it's not like I didn't enjoy it. It's just I had more exposure to all of that. Because like, there was Nick at Night that had I Love
1: Lucy. Well, he, I don't think um, Desi Arnaz gets enough credit as being a comedian. He's very funny in those. And mm-hmm. the thing that Desi Arnaz invented was the three-camera shoot. Uh, the three camera sitcom yeah, yeah. shoot. So he came up with that idea. So he, yeah. So you know, he he blew up the 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 sitcom, the sitcom were the, the three camera shoot.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was also fantastic. Again, going back to great straight man with great expressions. Yes. Not 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 as not as uh I don't think he was as necessarily straight with quotes around it as Margaret Dumont was. I keep wanting to I keep wanting to Frenchify it. Dumont, not Dumont. Well, but i uh i, like I, I carl
1: reiner is a is a straight man and uh and I, I don't know i think there's a difference between a straight man and a comic foil i think okay, maybe desi yeah. arnaz might have been a comic That's, foil
0: yes thank you i think i'm using those terms interchangeably even uh, though lodge even though i know that there's a difference between the two so yes thank you for the straight man correcting. goes
1: for well a, a, the straight man goes for absolutely no jokes whatsoever uh and and Desi Arnaz actually would get jokes with his facial expression, because uh, the job of the straight man is just to feed the. To me, the the, the best straight man in the ever was uh, Bud Abbott from Abbott and Costello. He was the best straight man, because uh, he would feed. Yeah, he would just feed Lou, feed Lou the lines. Uh, so yeah, the, or the straight person. I don't know for a straight man, straight woman, straight person. Because that's what Lucille Ball did in *Room Service*. She was she yeah. fed she fed the lines to the Marx Brothers and let the Marx Brothers get the laughs.
0: <clears throat> yeah, no, you're you're right. I was using the terms incorrectly, but uh, I I also appreciated that it was one of the first interracial couples on television. Uh, yes. Not even something that you see all that often now, when it's slightly more accepted. But
1: uh, no, definitely. I mean, they couldn't. They had separate beds, right. but that was just that, that was across. So did the, the monsters. So did the Munsters. hysterical. And uh, Dick Van Dyke. Speaking. Oh
0: yeah, I I loved Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. too. I see Nick at Night was a was a lot of my where I saw a lot of this for the first time. So you know I would stay up late because I have insomnia mm-hmm. and just watch that. And then when that was done, I would just watch B horror movies <laughs> that were playing late night on cable. <laughs> so my my two sensibilities came from my insomnia. Uh, b-movie trash and comedy here you go yeah and like i said so my big my big ones like were uh i love lucy and then when i was in fourth grade was when space ghost coast to coast came out so that was another really big comedic uh touchstone and then monty python obviously which I saw a lot. And like I said, because I've watched Money Python before I ever watched the Marx Brothers. So re watching it in reverse, I can see so much of the Marx Brothers DNA in their work.
1: Well, yes. I mean, like, I, well, the Marx Brothers and the three stooges, uh, went to a lesser extent, Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy, they were all paddling against the establishment. And, uh, and that's what Monty Python did. Monty Python, mm-hmm. but they did it uh not with pies, but with uh you know, sarcasm, you know, very, very...
0: occasionally there was a pie. Well it carries
1: a... the thing with um the thing with Monty Python is is that they're smart stupid. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well they they're smart
1: stupid, they're smart silly. John Cleese once said in an interview, Monty Python, if you just boil it down, Monty Python was silly. Mm-hmm. And Monty Python is silly, but there's a difference in this, you know, just being dumb and being smart dumb.
0: Well, an actual dumb person could not have written upper class Twit of the year. No,
1: no. He wrote that because people, people in his neighborhood were keeping him up, mm-hmm. were actually keeping him up.
0: Yeah, no, that. Um, uh, and and obviously, uh, speaking of like just silent films, too, Jacques Tati had a very big influence on a lot of their mm-hmm. Their work as well that doesn't go as talked about uh, there was especially like the beachside scene where Terry Jones is trying to change into his mm-hmm. his and his uh, swimsuit and then ends up on a burlesque stage mm-hmm. and he changes into his swimsuit in front of everybody with like this really sexy mm-hmm. burlesque music playing and that was taken uh, for like Monsieur Hulot's holiday mm-hmm. also a very slapsticky fun time for people who like French comedy which is a thing that exists
1: well Pretty much all silent films <laughs> were he. Most silent films were were comedies because they, they were just easier to make and they were easier to, you know, get the message across. I mean, horror I,
0: works really well. Horror works well. Too. Yeah,
1: horror works well.
0: Well, horror is really just comedy without laughs.
1: <laughs>
0: what? That's... It's true.
1: But anything with comedy without laughs is...
0: No, no, I mean, I mean from a visceral perspective. From a well, visceral and physiological perspective, there's times when, like... Uh, I think the most recent movie that legitimately terrified me to the way that I was keeping my eyes open at night, like staring at the ceiling, was Hereditary. And Hereditary was terrifying, and I laughed. Mm-hmm. Not because it was funny, but because I just needed to kind of let some of the pressure out and let some of the air out. And I realize how physiologically a lot of horror, you have the same, you have a very same physiological reaction to horror as you do comedy. And that's kind of oh, why absolutely. I say that horror is comedy without laughs, because your your body reacts to both in the same way. Your brain may not, but your body does.
1: Yes, but if you, if horror makes you laugh, then... Like uh, I saw Hellraiser in a the theater.
0: I love Hellraiser. Oh my!
1: That made me. Like, oh,
0: I love that movie. It's so bad, and I love the book that it's based on too.
1: Oh yeah, Clive Barker. Yes. Oh,
0: um, I, I love the Hellraiser movies.
1: The Hellraiser movies was the reason that the movie Nothing But Trouble got made by Dan Aykroyd, because he was in, he was in a movie theater watching hellraiser and everybody in the movie was laughing so he's like i'm gonna make a you know i'm gonna make a funny horror story and that nothing but trouble is just a that's a podcast in its own all the trouble that that movie went through but um but yeah we and some try to combine uh core a horror and comedy
0: to varying to degrees varying of degrees success. of success yes. sam raimi i think might be one of the best
1: right i would g- agree
0: uh what, what what there was another one Oh, if you ever see Tucker and Dale versus Evil.
1: Oh, uh yes.
0: Masterful. Masterful horror comedy. I thought.
1: I think I thought Stan versus Evil was uh the Dana Gould uh TV show. Yeah,
0: I haven't watched it yet. It's been in my queue for a while.
1: Yeah, that's very good.
0: Yeah, uh Stan versus Evil, I I've heard that was excellent. I've also heard um there's another one that's got Dr. Well, the Cox thing with, with scrubs in it.
1: That's that's that standard. It's sin evil. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: The thing with the thing with Sam Raimi and is the gore and the blood effects just have to be so over the yeah, top, yeah. so over the top that you just you just realize how silly it's going to be, uh, you know, how silly and over the top, and that you know, and that if. If you're watching a horror movie and somebody gets their throat slit in a, in a realistic manner, Mm -hmm. your, your, your defenses are going to go up. You see somebody get their throat slit and the blood shoots out of their neck and covers the wall in blood. You're like, okay, now I know what's going to, now I know what's going on. Yeah. So you, you, you have to, cause some, some movies have trouble with tone. It's
0: oh, like, I wish Jake was here. Tone is his favorite word. Oh, it Ding. is.
1: Some movies have trouble with tone, where they have different tone. It's like, how can you have this in the movie and this in the movie? It's like you've right. got to pick a tone, because the audience doesn't know what to do. The audience, the audience is confused. Well, should I be? Should I be scared? And I'm not saying, you know, in a movie you can be scared and then laughing at the same moment, but you shouldn't be confused about. About the, the about the journey that you're going on watching these movies.
0: Did you like? Did you like Cabin in the Woods? Or do you even consider Cabin in the Woods a comedy? I didn't see
1: Cabin in the oh, Woods. Oh, okay,
0: okay. I I think it leans more on the horror than a Tucker and Dale versus Evil or a a Sam Raimi movie would. Mm. But the the what it has to say about horror movies is very funny. <laughs>
1: Abbott and Costello versus Frankenstein <laughs>
0: a is classic.
1: a fa- is a it's a fantastic combination of horror and comedy. Yeah. With Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney Jr. playing the Dracula and the Wolfman and Stan and not Stan uh Bud and Abbott in the movie. If if you haven't seen Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, do that. Because you've got a lot of funny bits in there. The they don't make fun. They don't make fun of the monsters. So that's where the horror comes in. They treat the monsters as real. In the fact, that they treat the monsters as real, as in the fact that you you're actually you're actually worried about, Ab, especially Costello. You know, you're worried about Abbott and Costello actually. Falling prey to these monsters, and I will say, the the last ten, fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes of that movie is sort of breathless. It's yeah. like the, it doesn't stop for the last ten or fifteen minutes until it doesn't. It, until it's a well-paced movie. It is a well-paced movie, and then the and then it ends with the final joke of the Invisible Man being in the jo- in the in the boat with them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very. Oh. So yes, it's a very it's a it's a very well paced movie. The monsters aren't make uh, are not uh, made fun of, and uh, it's a it that is a great horror comedy.
0: Do you consider something like a Young Frankenstein a horror comedy, or would you consider that consider like a, that comedy a, comedy a comedy parody with uh, that's horror a parody, elements? A comedy parody. And I, okay. And
1: were you scared once during that movie?
0: Uh. Okay. I will say that I was scared of the part where Elizabeth was on the... Oh, by the way, there's going to be a major content warning for this Mm. section. So if you need a content warning, this is a good time to switch it off and go get a glass Mm. of water. Uh, The rape scene. That Mm. actually did scare me. (laughs) Um, So like to me, something like that is horror. Mm. But the rest of it, yes, the rest of it was hysterical. But I I mean it's it's got the aesthetics of horror. It's got a couple of the tropes of horror, but is it horror?
1: I would not say so. But however, I would say that Blazing Saddles is a western. Oh yeah. So
0: I don't think anyone could argue that Blazing Saddles wasn't a Western. Yeah. Has P V P have people tried?
1: No, but I'm just saying. I don't, think, I don't think Young Frankenstein is a horror movie, but I would say that. But I would say Blazing Saddles is a parody and a, a western.
0: Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Also, content warning is over. You can come back from getting your water. Everybody, thank you. Uh, no, and we can, we haven't talked about Mel Brooks. We've, we've got 20 minutes left. Mel Brooks could be an entire episode. But yeah. Jake and I are both really huge fans. Uh, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, um, History of the World Part 1. I always I have a really big soft spot for that. Uh, I, I'm very sad that Jews on Ice didn't happen past <laughs> just the gag because I wanted to actually watch that. Uh, I still love that there was never a part two. If you yeah. ever if he ever makes a part two, going would be really sad because I
1: I would I doubt. Well, the movie wasn't that successful.
0: That's too bad. I think it's an underrated movie. I think
1: it's an underrated movie too. I mean, I li- yes, I like all the, the, you know, it's an, I guess, call it an anthology mm-hmm. movie.
0: Yeah, kind of like, um, what's it? Uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life. I am always going to relate everything back to Monty Python, and I'm not sorry for that. Um, but, I, you know, anthologies as movies and as books are always kind of a harder sell for me because the results are so mixed a lot of times obviously Well, yes, that's you the can nature have one... of it obviously you can have nature and i i always feel like i'd kind of rather just watch something that's consistent and tone that word again please add an echo effect for the archive jake um and so like history of the world part one hooked me immediately it had to t- it, it had a uh meaning of life had to grow on me but after it did i was like this is this is actually so much better than people give it credit for.
1: And people Well realize. the Pythons themselves don't really care for it. I think it's their least favorite movie, they've said that.
0: Right. But I, I do love it. My cat's name is Mr. Creosote. <laughs> so I mean, obviously I like it. I mean, and I know that a lot of people are put off by the, the Where's the Fish interlude to. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on, everyone, let, let Terry Jones just do his thing. Like,
1: <sighs> Terry Jones is sort of like oh! Bruce McCullough is the Terry Jones of Monty Python because he likes to do those long, uh, you know, sausage. you know, he does those long seven-minute sketches that usually are the last one.
0: Yeah, I think that John Cleese once said if it's, if a sketch starts off with pleasant music and a meadow and it starts to pan, then it was written by Terry Jones and Michael Palin, (laughs) or just Terry Jones, but it's usually just Jones and Palin together.
1: I thought it was, it was... You know uh, Graham and Pi- uh, Graham and John wrote together. They and did Michael and Michael and Terry wrote together. Yeah, and Eric wrote by himself.
0: Yeah, and Gilliam was just kind of off in his studio, and they're like, "We don't know what he's doing," but okay. Well,
1: that was yes, because yeah.
0: he was the animator.
1: He was the animator, and they get once again they gave him free reign. They just said, "Okay, we need you. To, we need you to get us from this scene to this scene." Yeah, and we don't care how you do it, and that's how he. And that's what he would do.
0: The the best episode I think with using his animation as the as a connective tissue was there there was there was one where I, I remember off the top of my head there is a running gag of these the society of of society of putting things what on top, top of thing? other things that. Where the the running joke of the of the men from that society. They're trying to get off film. They're trying to get off a of film, and like they'll transition from sketch to sketch, and then you'll see them like walking through it, and then into an animation, and then out of it. One of the best examples of using Terry Gilliam's talents to to connect everything together, like that was, and I again, someone who I don't think at the time got nearly as much credit. I know a lot of people watched it, and were like, "What is with these animations?" And I don't think people really retroactively appreciated. Terry Gilliam's animation until Terry Gilliam started being a director in his own right long
1: after. Well, Python. the first couple of episodes of Monty Python, if you look at the credits, it was written by Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Jones and Michael Palin animation yeah. by
0: yeah. T- Terry,
1: Terry Gilliam. Gilliam. And then as and then as it went in, Terry, it was written by and they threw him in. So. Yeah. So they brought him into the full.
0: And it helped. It made it a much more cohesive unit, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you they worked so well together. Even though I know that like John Cleese and Terry Jones were constantly screaming at e- and yelling yeah. at each other, they, but they well, that's uh,
1: for well, Mark McKinney and Bruce McCullough were. I here's the deal: we both are with Comedy Sports.
0: Yeah, and I've actually uh, taken workshops with Kevin McDonald.
1: Yes, Kevin yeah. McDonald. I've I never worked with I. I met Kevin McDonald because he was selling, you know, he was selling workshops.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I... Uh, But the thing is... They were really worth it.
1: uh, The thing with comedy sports is I've never had an antagonistic relationship with anybody in comedy sports. Not even me? Uh, No, not even you. Oh. But from what I hear from all is in a lot of comedy troupes is there was a lot of yelling. Now, maybe it's because the stakes aren't that high, with comedy sports maybe if because they had to produce a television show week after week, yeah. and then maybe like maybe
0: after... maybe if we had to re-audition for also one, it, it was re- a
1: smaller group yeah in a writing room sort of like this, I guess I could see tensions flare it was
0: also like immediately after World War II as well, where society was still kind of loosening again loosening the valve, you know they grew up in a heavily traumatized time and <laughs>
1: Yes, but if I, but I always hear like in Kids in the Hall, it was you know Mark and and they would say they would yell at each other and yeah I've I've never yelled I've never yelled at anybody at Comedy Sports.
0: Jake and I don't actually yell at each other, but we pretend that we do. Yeah, uh, like ever people have actually asked like uh, why why are you guys even friends if you're so antagonistic on mm. air? And I'm like, it's because we really are friends. Mm. <laughs> like we we. We save it just for the booth and then out of it, we, you know, and and we actually do go over our, um, our boundaries as they change. Like there's some days where there are subjects where like, I just can't joke about and vice versa for him. And we'll just be like, Hey, today, can we, like, I'm, I'm not really feeling this. Can you just like let, let off me on this subject today? And we'll, we'll both be like, yeah, sure. And so we, we take care and do that like ahead of time, which I think reduces yelling. And I think, I think being told hey it's not it's i'm not offended i am just i'm just in a mood today or something you know he understands but yes, so yeah i'm sorry i'm blowing the lid off of all this secretly jake and i are actually very close friends who talk almost every day maybe we should start yelling at each other maybe we would start making kids in the hall and monty python level level comedy if we did what? I mean I'm 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 a quarter Irish and Jake is mostly Irish and that's kind of like Welsh which is what Terry Jones is yeah. right It's the same thing isn't it Yes I don't know all white people look the same to me
1: Right Well it was one of the uh we were talking about sketch and one of the drawback, what one of the draw improv is uh uh what is it Judd, Judd Apatow you know he's ushered in this well, let's not, you know, we don't really need to stick to the script. Let's let's just try to try to improvise, you know, we'll improvise a scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, what's it called? Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is like that, too.
1: Yes. And I think that's good. That's how Kids in the
0: Hall did it, also. What's it? Kids in the Hall would do, they, their sketch writing was just, like, they charted the three beats and then they would improvise the dialogue to get to those beats.
1: Right but that that works in some cases and it doesn't work in other yeah. cases so i was watching i did a podcast uh, with my friend and we were reviewing the blues brothers and the blues brothers is a a very well written script where i don't think what i i guess what i'm trying to say is we i think we're we're falling in the for falling in love with the idea of well, yeah, we have a script, but we can go off the script at any time, and it's just going to be as fun. Sometimes there's nothing better than a well-written script delivered and the lines delivered by a well-practiced actor. Yeah, so- there
0: was only ever one instance of improv in Money Python.
1: Yes, I can't remember. It what was, was, it? It was I didn't uh, death.
0: I didn't eat the. I didn't salmon eat the. Moves. I didn't eat
1: the salmon. Moves. Literally,
0: yes. the only instance of improv. So I mean, yes. you've got the the exact extreme there. Everything is so tight, and there's right. no room for improv-,
1: improv. Right, and it works. So, uh,
0: but then you've got something like Curb Your Enthusiasm that it's mostly. But then improv you have something and like totally um,
1: Ghostbusters 2016, which didn't work yeah. because they were just all trying to.
0: I still have a soft spot for that movie, though I enjoyed it.
1: I thought it was awful. Uh, I it was awful because I, I they didn't once again they didn't get the tone of the movie. Whereas they are battling ghosts, and they just all had these smart alecks, uh smart aleck comments and smart aleck smirks on their face like it was like they were dealing with stuff they dealt with every day you're you're dealing with ghosts you need to you, you know you need to be uh, scared you need to you need to treat the moment you need to treat the moment seriously when you run into a ghost and not be chomping on pringles and you know and you know saying their logo which is wrong she she goes once you stop or you can't eat just one. Once
0: you pop you can't stop. Okay,
1: that is Pringles. I thought she said you can't eat that's lace. But anyway. So when that and then the comedy should come from the reaction that you have, the your actual physical reaction that you have from from a ghost. Yeah, uh which is you know, which is perfectly seen in the in the 84 version
0: maybe it's a millennial humor thing because understated reactions maybe it is understated reactions are something that i find hysterical i i inherently find like if you see a ghost you're just like (laughs) i'm gonna eat some pringles like that to me that kind of thing would crack me up and i think a lot of that is just like uh, that is very millennial humor is understated reactions i just think it might be uh, oh speaking of ghostbusters though just Slightly off topic. Are you looking forward to the third Ghostbusters?
1: Not really. Because they nailed it they nailed it in eighty four. Fair and enough. They nailed it in eighty four. Ghostbusters two was an okay movie. Like I said, I didn't like la- uh,
0: Did you ever watch the cartoon?
1: I did watch the cartoon. I, enjoyed I the they cartoon na- quite a well, bit. I watched Ghostbusters the live action TV show from the nineteen seventies with Larry Storch and Force Tucker from F Troop.
0: What?
1: And a and a and an ape.
0: Wait, I thought that that wasn't Ghostbusters. That was like Ghostbusters with like a space in between. And it was copyrighted differently cuz it was
1: It probably was, but yeah. that was it. But they did the same thing. They had the machines that they turned on and it, they captured the ghosts. It's very it's very rare. It's very hard to find right now, but it was odd cuz it was uh Force Tucker and larry storch who were famously together in f troop
0: today i learned
1: yes because I, I knew that there was a so there was a ghostbusters live action one with an ape then there was a ghostbusters cartoon with an ape
0: yeah i think those two were the same that was ghostbusters with the space in between. yes
1: so this i think the cartoon was based off the television the television show. There was a live action television show.
0: That was during that period in the 70s where everything had to have a monkey in it, right? Uh,
1: yeah, Mr. Chips where every talking monkeys or
0: oh, they had... agent
1: of, Ch- I think there was a show called Agent from Chimp.
0: Yeah, and then there was uh, Zayna and Jan the Wonder Twins had an BJ ape. PJ and the Bear. Uh, Space Ghost had an ape. He had mm-hmm. a blip the monkey.
1: Blip the monkey. Yeah. Uh, and Jan and Jace.
0: Yeah, they have...
1: Jan and Jace and Blip. And yep. then, what was it? The superheroes had uh, Gleek.
0: Yeah. What was the deal with all the monkeys at the time? So,
1: yes, the Wonder Twins and Gleek.
0: Was that like back in the 80s when everything had that to be Australian? That was the No, I'm saying, but is that, is that similar to like when everything was all about Australia in the 80s and they're like, let's put a koala and a kangaroo and everything?
1: <laughs> well, I think that was very short-lived. Ah. The crocodile Dundee phase.
0: Well, maybe they all found out that koalas have chlamydia.
1: They they do. They do. Uh, they. I, I thought it was syphilis.
0: No, it's chlamydia.
1: Yes. Uh, so koalas have the... They sleep 23 and a half hours a day uh-huh. and have the highest case of VD of any animal.
0: Yeah, when I was over there, they were like, don't ever touch the koalas because if they bite you, you're going to get chlamydia. And I was like... <clears throat> But that would be a really funny story, but also I don't want chlamydia. Yeah,
1: So, yeah, I thought it was syphilis, but chlamydia, that's fine. Yes, yeah, so, so they're ravaged with VD, and they sleep 23 and a half hours a day.
0: But they're so cute.
1: Hey, that, thats <laughs> you've just described
0: me. FCC, Scott, FCC, we made it this far. The you're the show. one who brought up chlamydia. I can. That is a, that is a factual scientific discussion
1: yes we're using factual terms
0: with for koalas that have venereal diseases mm-hmm. uh well scott we have about five minutes left in the show i am extremely happy and excited that you're here and i hope that you will come back again and well
1: no because oh. i thought i was special but i find out you're inviting every tom dick and harry onto it's how the show. i
0: it's how i do i learned it from the koalas no but, but seriously which one has
1: chlamydia tom dick or harry all of them. Who?
0: Anyway, anyway. But no, it was always very edifying and wonderful to talk to you. I've listened to several of your podcasts and I've sent them to Jake and just been like, "Scott has to be on our show" in all caps multiple times.
1: And Well, I'm re- I I'll promote. I'm a semi-regular on the podcast The Canadian Movie Crew.
0: Mhm. Yeah, the Green Lantern episode of that was a lot of fun.
1: And uh uh Vic Shuttees a uh, hail satire.
0: Also a great podcast.
1: Yes. Uh I'm a regular on those.
0: And where else can our listeners who are now all your fans where where can they find you on uh, the internet?
1: I'm on uh, my website is scottiblanco.com. Uh I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Uh so all those links should be on my should be on my uh website. Also, my calendars on my website, so upcoming shows, uh, like I said, I do stand up and improv, so i 'm all over the country i'm also uh, also on my facebook page uh, i'm trying to just uh, oh um, I have a youtube page where i 'm starting to do videos of called four and a half minute review so i 'll just take anything and i 'll review anything in four and a half minutes. And I just give myself four and a half minutes to review it. And once the four and a half minutes uh, run out, that's where the video stops.
0: Yeah, my favorite one that you've done so far has been the uh, the Dollar Store earbuds. That's a classic.
1: No, it was a Dollar Store charger.
0: Oh, you you're di- right. You didn't. I obviously didn't you watch. Didn't watch it. it. I obviously didn't watch the episode where you had uh, Archie and the Punisher or Archie and the Punisher. Yeah, or Archie comics in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, obvi- I don't support your work at all, mm-hmm. Scott. That's, that's actually the opposite of why I had you here. I wanted you to talk about your stuff and then I could just be like, don't bother my audience.
1: And just I'm to- also doing something called hello four square comics where it's just, uh, three pictures of me on the phone and the fourth picture is the, the punchline. So that's on my, uh, Facebook page too. Hello four square comics. Uh, right now I'm temporarily, uh, banned from posting my stuff on groups and Facebook because uh, <laughs> that's
0: actually a really funny story.
1: A Star Trek troll didn't get one of my start. I'm sorry, my Star Wars troll didn't get one of my comments, uh, so he reported me. So now all my stuff is spam. Uh,
0: the, the, the Han Solo. It was a, the movie. There's a movie out
1: called Free Solo, and I just and the joke was well, I guess it didn't happen yet. And there's a picture of Han Solo and Carbonite, and and. They didn't get it. And it's
0: surprising to me that, like, it's a G-rated thing. It's
1: not that it was... No, no. It's not that it offended anybody. No. They just didn't get it.
0: They reported it, though, and it's just G-rated thing. But, like, I have reported people that are openly Nazis that are calling for genocide, and I'll report them, and Facebook will be like, no, it's freedom of speech. But then, like, you post a joke about Han Solo, and they're like... You're going to be banned from posting things forever. Or you know, 10 was, days. Or 10 days. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you get banned for a G-rated comic that you can talk about on air, and I could, tell, I could show it to my mom, who's a children's All librarian. All the comics
1: you can show to your parents.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I could show this to my, my mom, and she's a children's librarian, and it would not upset her in any way. But somehow, somehow calling for the genocide of anyone who's not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan is totally okay. I don't understand the Facebook algorithm. We need
1: the genocide of koala bears to wipe out that chlamydia.
0: Yeah, but I think that would destabilize the Australian ecosystem, and I don't think that's all a that good eucalyptus mechanism. would
1: grow wild.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, you would you would open up that circle of life and lose us all. Mm. You would create despair and not hope, and not faith and not love. And anyway, thank you so much again, Scott. This has been another episode of Pop and Schlock on KPFT channel HD Two.